Good morning, church. <clears throat> Jacob didn't say anything about it, <clears throat> but he should have. He's going to have a get-together tonight out at his house. Uh, are we gathering at the doctrinally right time of 6 o'clock or what? 7. So we're going to go off the regular time, and we're going to meet at Jacob's house tonight at 7 o'clock for some fellowship, some food, and some fireworks. So if you'll show up uh, for that, that'd be great. And on the back glass back here, we still have a lot of tabs that need to be pulled. People need to commit to buying things for our Magi program. And if you don't know about our Magi program, that's Make a Godly Impact program where we put together boxes and then we send them to third world countries on behalf of the church and ministers and missionaries get to pass those out to needy children in third world countries. Um, and uh, that, is a, that is a great program. If you've ever seen the video of them passing these boxes out to needy children, it's just a beautiful thing. Well, we continue on with our sermon series, Encounters with Christ. Has everybody got an outline this morning? Boys, did you pass them out? All right. Anybody need one? So everybody's got one. All right, everybody but Tanya. Lewis, could you make sure Tanya gets one? We continue on this morning with the sermon. Just believe. Just believe. Today we'll have two encounters, but just one story. Now the story can be found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew has a very short, abbreviated account of the story, and Luke with the longer one, so we're really going to focus on Luke's account, but we will use some of the information that we find in Mark in the story. But there are two, there are two people really in our story who have a huge encounter with Christ. But before we go on with the story, I want to give you a little background on, on three different things. One, the Jewish culture knew that mourning for the dead was a good mental health practice. They knew letting it out to express grief is a very good thing. And they knew that. So they had professional mourners. Now, that may seem a little strange to us, but they had people that would come in, dress in black, and would mourn and cry in and around the family. The thought was to set an, an atmosphere where people could grieve openly. And that was a good thing. That was a great thing for people to, to openly grieve and not bottle it up. The second thing is that cleanliness laws are important when you don't have modern medicine, right? When you don't have bacterial soap, when you don't have antibiotics, when you don't have vaccines, keeping yourself clean and keeping away from bacteria and viruses are very important. And two of the laws that you will find in Leviticus are around what we're going to study this morning. One was you didn't touch anything, any kind of bodily discharge off of another person, whether it, whether it be anything that had to do with disease, you, you didn't touch that, or blood, you didn't have anything to do with blood either. And the next was that you didn't touch anything dead. 
Now, you could slaughter something and then eat it, okay? That's, that wasn't improper. But David, if it died of disease or if it was dead and rotting, you couldn't have anything to do with it. You weren't to touch it. And if you did, you would be uh, asked to leave the community for a certain amount of time and at the very least be ceremonial or ritualistically unclean. And so when we look at these two laws, uh, or we look at any law, really, in Leviticus, Mikey's trying, God's trying to protect us and keep us pure spiritually and keep us pure for health reasons, right? And then we have uh, in our story, this happens in a small fishing village. We're somewhere in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, and this happens in small communities, communities that were a thousand or less. This probably happens this morning in Capernaum, but I can't be absolutely sure of that. But it happens near Capernaum, we are sure of that. But these are small towns, and the reason I'm telling you that this happens in a small town is because I want you to understand that Jairus, the city official, or excuse me, the synagogue official, or the synagogue leader, would have known Jesus. But because Jesus is already preaching this new kingdom on earth, Nicole, then he's, he's a little, going to be a little shy of Jesus. Because if the Romans heard about this, all this new kingdom talk, that would have made things really tense and really difficult and I got to tell you the synagogue leader is probably not going to align himself with Jesus just yet because of the things that he's saying so the reason I'm telling you that they that they're in a small town is because Ben you grew up in a small town everybody knows everybody right and what's going on so I want you to know this morning that Jairus and Jesus probably know about each other so I'm going to do something a little different this morning it's probably already making some of you tense that I just even say that but I, I want you I want you just to relax and just just encounter Christ in this story I want you to, to just put yourself Don this morning I want you to implant yourself in the crowd I want you to see yourself as a character. I want you just to step into the story with me and enjoy it. And for the first, for the first 10 or 15 minutes here, we'll just tell the story from the perspective that the narrative, the narrative has. And I'll represent three different characters. I'll represent the Jairus, the synagogue leader, and then I'll speak on behalf of the bleeding lady. And then I'll speak on behalf of Peter. And I'm going to fill in uh, some lines here where they don't have it. But I think that you'll find everything that I have to say or every fact that I declare that you'll be able to find them in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And certainly some of their thoughts that they must have been going through. So be gracious with me this morning as we try something a little bit different and a little new. Hi. My name is Jairus. 
I remember the day very well. I, I'm a synagogue leader, the official there, actually. And my 12-year-old daughter was dying. We tried everything, but now she can hardly draw a breath, Levi. She's fading away. I remember as I stood at the window, I could see the professional mourners who were dressed in black come around the house, and I hated them for being there. Now, they, they had good motive. Yes, they're good people, but I hated that they were there because that meant my daughter was that close to dying. I was desperate. I tried everything. I would prayed all night long. I didn't know what to do. Someone came into the house and told us that that faith healer, Jesus, was in town. I've got to tell you, I dropped all my pride, all my arrogance, and I ran to him. I was so desperate to save my little girl, my little 12-year-old girl. And when I got to him, he was surrounded by a huge crowd, and I couldn't get to him quick, Will, so, so I pushed my way through to him. And when I got to him, I didn't know what to do, Jack, so I did what I could do. I just threw myself at his feet. And I begged him, come save my daughter. She's dying. She's, she's just as good as dead. That was stunned, Preston. He didn't say a word. He reached down, helped me up, and he started following me. And we started back to my house. Jesus following me to my house to save my little girl. I was thrilled, but I couldn't move fast enough. The crowd was around us, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't let us through fast enough. And we kept pushing and kept trying to get through the crowd. Hi. My name is... Really, it's, my name's not important. What's important is you, you understand that the encounter that I had with Christ that day, I want you to understand what he did for me. I saw Jairus leading Christ through the crowd, starting to walk away. He wanted his baby girl healed, but I wanted my own healing. You see, I've been bleeding for 12 years, and I wanted... I wanted just, just for him to heal me, but they started moving away from me, and I, and I knew that, that he could take care of me, that he could heal me. I, just, I, wanted to, I wanted to just reach out and touch him. But the crowd, the, the crowd, David, was just pressing in on me, and, and I couldn't reach him. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. I shouldn't have been there. I was bleeding, and... and, and I was, I was untouchable, and, and, and I shouldn't have been touching all those people. And I had no business touching that rabbi and making him unclean, but you don't know. You don't know what it's like. You sit there comfortable in your chairs, leaning against people and touching their hands and, and having people shake your hands this morning. But I spent 12 years without the touch of another human being. You don't know what that's like 
not being able to shake a hand, not being able to get a hug, not receiving a kiss on your forehead from your mother. For 12 years, I've been alone. So don't judge me. But I did it. While the crowd was moving, I was behind one of his disciples. And we were moving along, and the crowd stopped him still just for a second. And when it did, I, I dropped down on my knee, and then I reached around somebody in front of me, and I touched his cloak. <laughs> and then it happened. I was healed. One touch, and I was healed. And the blood stopped running. And I was made whole. And I felt it inside. I can't explain it. I can just tell you that I was, I was made whole. You don't understand. I've spent my whole 12 last years doing everything to become whole. I've spent all my money. I've sold everything and I've spent all my money on doctors trying to make me better. And to be honest, they didn't do anything for me. They just made me worse. And now by one touch, through the power of God, I'm made whole. I tell you, I didn't, I'm kind of shy and I didn't want, any, I, I didn't, I didn't want ever, anybody to know. But Jesus had other plans. He stopped. And he turned around and he said, who touched me? And that Peter guy went ballistic. Peter said, who touched you? Look at all these people around you pressing in on us. What do you mean, who touched you? It's like we're swimming upstream in a sea of people. Who touched you? What do you mean, who touched you? And Jesus looked right at him and said, I felt, I felt power, leave me. Peter just looked at the ground. Jesus began to look through the crowd. And you know I knew, Patsy, if he had the ability to heal me that fast, he knew that he had the ability to identify me. So I did all that I could do. I just threw myself at the feet of Jesus. And I told him everything. I confessed everything. And, and as, I, as I knelt there at his feet confessing everything... When I looked up, I thought he would condemn me for being sneaky and sneaking around and touching him and coming up, sneaking up on him. And Jack, I really thought, I really thought he would condemn me because I've been around these people and I've been touching them and that would have made them ritually unclean. And I really thought he would get on to me for making him ritually unclean by touching him. But I've got to tell you, I was wrong. I was dead wrong. When I looked up into his eyes, he was smiling. I saw love in his eyes. I saw compassion in his eyes. It was like we'd been friends all my life and we were getting reacquainted. <sighs> He looked at me and he said, daughter, 
your faith has healed you. And then he turned and he started walking back to Jairus' house. And then suddenly through the crowd, a man came running up to Jairus. Hi, my name's Peter, Simon Peter to be exact. Yes, I know what people say, they call me impetuous Peter, but I'm getting over that, okay? I've learned better since then. But can I tell you that day, that day I thought Jesus maybe was losing it. Because that day, our great faith healer, the great physician, stops and has a conversation with this lady. And I'm thinking, if you're the great faith healer, if you're the great physician, we're about to be, to be sued for malpractice. This little girl is dying. We've got to get there. But Jesus doesn't seem to have a real sense of timing. Well, at least then I thought that. Now I know better. But after he had this conversation with this woman, a man ran up to Jesus and he said, or he ran up to Jairus and said, no reason to bother the teacher anymore. The little girl's dead. He was plain as day. He made himself clear. She's dead. And then Jesus says the strangest thing. He looks right at Jairus and says, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she'll be healed. No, Jesus, you didn't understand. The guy that ran up here said she's dead, D-E-A-D. We're not talking about healing somebody. She's gone. She's dead. She's past redemption. You can't do anything for her. At least I thought. But Jesus kept walking on. Jairus leading the way. And then we got to the house. And when we got to the house, the mourners were already starting to wail. And Jesus walked up, just matter-of-factly, and said, Stop crying. Stop wailing. She's not dead. She's asleep. Oh, I was embarrassed. I got to tell you, I was really uncomfortable. Because I saw the girl, and she was dead. You know that look, that blue, gray, ashen, gray look, she was dead. And I thought, Jesus, what are you doing? And that's when he kicked everybody out of the house, everybody out of the room except the six of us. Me, James and John, Jesus and the parents, and this little dead girl laying there. And then, then Jesus does the unthinkable. He reaches out and he takes the hand of this little girl. And I don't mean he touched her. Don't get me wrong. No, he slipped his hand under her hand and grasped her hand. And he says, Talitha kum. 
Talitha kum. I couldn't believe it. Oh, yeah, I know. To you English speakers, Talitha kum doesn't mean much, right? But in Aramaic, Talitha was a diminutive way of expressing to a little girl, like honey, sweetheart. It's what I've heard my mother-in-law call my wife, Talitha. And then kum, get up. You Americans would say, honey, it's time to rise. I thought it very inappropriate. I thought it very just hurtful. That was Tanya until she set up, until color came back to her face, Bill. Until she rose up and sat up and smiled back at Jesus. And I gotta tell you, all six or all five of us went and stepped back because we knew that must be a ghost. Jesus must have been knowing what we were thinking, and he said, Feed her, give her a drink, because you and I both know that spirits don't need food or drink. And Dawn, she did. She was alive. She was alive by one touch of Jesus Christ. We were stunned. We were impressed. There's no other word than to say that day we were amazed. So what can we learn? What can we learn from two encounters in one story about our Christ? First, be patient because Jesus, with Jesus, you always get more than you bargain for. You always get more than you expect. Jairus just wanted his daughter healed from a fever, and what he got was a resurrection. What he got was an encounter with Christ that everybody that had seen that little girl dead will never, ever forget again. It didn't just change her life. It changed her parents' life. It changed the mourner's life. It changed everybody's in that community's life that morning. And all Jairus was looking for was his little girl to not be sick anymore. And the woman, the bleeding woman, what she wanted was a quick, autonomous healing. She just wanted to get in, and then, Ben, she wanted to get out. But that's not what she got, was it? You see, Jesus wanted her to know that he knew what she'd done and he was okay with it. And that it was her faith that healed her. He didn't want to just heal her. He wanted a relationship with her. She wanted a quick, autonomous healing. And he wanted a relationship with her. The next thing I want you to see in the story is... It's about our faith and his power. It's about 
our faith in His power. You see, His inexhaustible, unlimited, limitless, boundless, endless, never-ending, never-failing power is always there. The thing that goes up and down, that has less and more, that's our faith. And if it's His will for something to be done, all we need is the faith that He has our best interest at heart. And He can make anything happen. Number three, it's never too late for Jesus. You see, Jairus, Jairus got the word that she was dead and he thought, it's too late. And Jesus looks at him and in essence says, don't be afraid, just believe it's never too late with me. It's never too late with the Savior. And some of you this morning, I got to tell you, some of you are thinking, well, Keith, I'm too X. I'm too sinful. I'm too hateful. I'm too greedy. I'm too undeserving. I'm too jealous. I'm too hypocritical. I'm too broken for Jesus. And Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. Just believe. I can mend anything. Number four today, trust his timing. Trust his timing. I can't tell you why it took 12 years for this little girl to finally get sick enough that she's on her deathbed. And I don't know why it took the suffering of this bleeding woman 12 years to finally, to finally come to Jesus. I just know that it was perfect timing. Folks, we have got to start trusting Romans 8.28. And we know that all things good work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I don't know why she was suffering. Yes, I do. She's suffering because sin's in the world, Jacob. And Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy. And Christ came that we might have life and have it to the full. And Satan is working in his terrible ways to ruin our lives. And God is taking all that and working it out for the good of those who love him. Do we believe that this morning? Do we trust God's timing? And finally, the most important thing I think that we can learn out of this story this morning you see, we have two characters that are on the social spectrum. One is Jairus, the official, the synagogue leader. Probably not super wealthy, but well off. The whole town looks to him. And, and then on the other end of the spectrum, we have a woman who has no more money who hasn't been touched in 12 years. She's considered untouchable. She's an outcast now. And she's disenfranchised. 
But they have one thing in common, Micah. They're willing to throw themselves at the feet of Jesus. So i got to ask you this morning, are you willing to throw yourself at the feet of Jesus? This morning, do you come broken? You see, God doesn't need your ego. He doesn't need your wisdom. He doesn't need your arrogance and your pride and your silly little self-confidence in yourself. David tells us in Psalms 57 and excuse me 51 and 17. He's looking for a broken contrite heart. Can I tell you this morning, I want you to stop thinking about those people around you. And I want you to think about yourself. Some of you here this morning, your ego and your pride and your arrogance is causing a rupture in relationship with people at church. It's costing you relationships. And I got to tell you, if it keeps on, it can cost you your relationship with your Savior. So this morning I ask you, do you come broken? Do you come wounded? Have you been mistreated? Have you been rejected? Have you been neglected? Have you been abused by people? Jesus is always there. He's looking for you just to touch the hem of his garment. Because if you'll just draw close to him, he'll draw close to you. Do you come desperate this morning? Is there something in your life that is overwhelming you? Do you have a grief? Do you have a sorrow? Do you have a sickness? Because this is the Christ, this is the Savior who begs you to cast your burdens on Him. This is the Savior who says, I am gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your soul in me, in Christ Jesus. And lastly this morning, do you come guilty? There are only two types of people this morning in this crowd. Guilty and pardoned. There are only two types of people this morning in this crowd. Those who are guilty and those who are pardoned by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're not pardoned by the blood of Jesus Christ, what are you waiting for? Why wait another moment? We're going to stand and sing this song. And I got, I'll, I'll stand right here till the song is finished. If you're not pardoned, if you haven't confessed Jesus Christ, put him on in baptism. Won't you do that today as we stand and we sing? Of God.
come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come given. 